WhatsApp ETFers, ETF ETFers, ETF uh, um, uh, people who own ETFs, uh, beautiful older women who might own a very successful ETF, who are unfairly maligned by a lot of people. The minute the market starts turning around, maybe things get a little wonky, you abandon the ship. And here's the thing. My name is Mark Marin. I am racist. Wait, you know what we do have to say before we continue? I, I, I really, you, you, by the way, I want to hear the sausage is made. Couldn't think of what to say next. I know. This is what you always do when you can't, you just say something crazy. I, yeah, well, I'm just saying what I don't you're think thinking. that was that crazy what no, you said. No, no, no. That's probably true. Everything that's about to be said, by the way, is not financial advice. I forgot that we have to say that. No, we don't. Yes, we do. No, we don't, because this well, is just, financial advice. No, 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 uh, no. What no. I am about we to give you not... on this episode is financial advice, because I'm a certified <laughs> financial advisor, certified no, no, by no. the grace of God. No, we are not financial advisors, and nothing we are about to say is financial advice. Nothing Liz is about to say is financial advice. But as a Jew, everything I'm about to say is not only financial advice, but sounded financial advice. Just play it. <laughs> Hello, my name is Dark Mark Marin, <laughs> and I'm interviewing Adolf Hitler. You know what? Here's the thing. First of all, do people still listen to the podcast? Does that still exist? Ours? No. Marin's podcast. I'm sure they do. He would do that interview. Hitler? I would... Sorry, would you not interview Hitler? I don't think I got anything to ask him. You don't have anything to ask him? What the hell? My whole thing is, dude, how are you still alive? Oh, that's a very good question. Question number one. You know what? Also, not intuitive. Not a lot of people would think to ask that one. Also, I would ask him, how's your Spanish been coming along? Argentina all these years. Mm. Ha, ha, ha. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Bet, nice. he doesn't re- bet he regrets not being obsequious to Franco now because could have learned a little beforehand. Hi, my name is Brace. <laughs> I'm Liz. Hello. We are, of course, joined by producer Young Chomsky. This and is our guest, uh, Adolf Hitler. Yes. And we were the pod- no. yes. I, we were saying the same thing at the same time. Yeah, Hitler's not here. Yeah, yeah. Hitler is, I want to be clear, Hitler is not here. We do, however, have another person that is here. <laughs> oh, sorry in advance for her listening to this, but we do have the um, fantastic, highly anticipated return of Miss Alexander Skaggs, who used to, what did you call her before? We should go back to that. Uh, Finco? Like, oh, yeah, our Finco. Yeah, she's our Finco. Fuck, I meant to say that when she was on. She, Yeah, she's the Finco, Truanon's uh, financial correspondent. Yeah, that didn't really catch on, Finco. No. Well, yeah, but it's FinTech did. I invented that as well. Yeah, well, we've got Market Talk with Lady Skaggs, which I'm very excited about. You always, you know, I love to talk markets. I think we should open, though, with uh, me talking shit about a successful woman. How's how's that for for an uh, uh, intro? Yeah, well, I got I could say a lot more, but I want actually I do have a lot to say. Um, so 
for those of you who like me get 100% of their news from the front page of reddit.com um you might have heard about a woman who's been in the news a little bit lately named kathy wood yeah you familiar with this 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 thought she's been on tv in the past year more than dr fauci Yes, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And just as much a snake oil salesman. (laughs) Uh, Before we get into what her company does, I'm going to get a little to the backup. But for the record, her company is called ARK, right? Yes, ARK. A-R-K. I said ARK. As if that was saying out the word. No, A-R-K, ARK. It doesn't stand for anything, actually. Actually, it does. Although it's a fake stand for something. Yeah, I'll get to that towards the end. But it technically stands... (laughs) for uh allocating research knowledge or something like that oh, but for fuck's sake. to be completely clear with you it is actually named after the ark of the covenant right it, no it stands for active research knowledge excuse me uh so this woman is a very rich sort of uh thought to be like a financial guru type person you know Typical trajectory of all these creeps. She started very young at a place called Capital Group. I think she was about 20 when she started out with them. Mentored by a guy named Arthur Laffer. Arthur Laffer, of course, known for the Laffer Curve, which is a famous... He got Me Too'd by Kathy Wood for a while ago because he was like, you got something I'd like to call a Laffer Curve. Like, I would like to own that, baby. No, I'm just kidding. It basically says that if you cut taxes, you get more tax revenue, which... Sounds a little incorrect to me, but what do I know? Again, not a financial, uh, you know, whatever yeah, they're called. Big Reagan guy. And yeah, Trump yes, guy. yeah. He was on, uh, he was on Reagan's economic advisory board. He was also on Trump's, like, you know, coronavirus economics team. And Trump did not follow the advice that he gave them. Um, I'm not even entirely sure that Trump was aware of the advice that he, advice that he gave them. She moves around in the finance world. She's working at Capital Group. She's working at Jenison Associates. She spends like 20 fucking years there. And she becomes known as something like a numbers whiz. I'm not quoting anyone there. I just, the word whiz is one that I enjoy. Um, She is unorthodox. And that's the whole thing. The financial world loves an unorthodox kind of person. Uh, Her big thing was in the 80s uh, when they were saying that interest rates uh, were going to keep climbing. They were kind of baked into the system. She says, nah, you're wrong. Incorrect. They have peaked. They're going to start going down. And uh, I guess she was correct. Again, not my area of expertise. She wants to start crunching the numbers, though, on investments. And she claims that she was like a, this is a direct quote. And, uh, you know, for those of you who out there like me have kind of a weird semi-sexual relationship with some furry stuff, you know, you don't have to listen to this part. Uh, she felt like a little dog under the table scrapping for bones. Woof, woof. Um, she's... <laughs> I hate that. Why did you do that? I don't know. I'm trying to be as crude as possible with this because I really oh dislike this God. person. Yeah, um, I don't like her. She, uh, she, you know, she starts investing and and going for database companies. And basically, long story short, she gets really early into tech and and mm. finance stocks, uh, big into research, but in the same kind of corny way that a lot of her tech counterparts were. Again, she's much older than a lot of people of sort of this new like Elon Musk generation. She's in her late sixties now, but um, she she gets into something called disruptive research. And she's trying to disrupt the uh, the very industry that she's in, which, again, should sound familiar to you. Uh, t- 
of course, 2006, she's one of those people that says that, oh, she sees this big fucking, you know, kerfluffle coming and, uh, you know, she's kind of hedges her bets there. She gets really like fucked up during this period and starts like, you know, searching for meaning. Um, she wrote a book called Man's Search for Meaning, which a lot of people really enjoy. They say that it's given them a lot in their life. I'm just fucking kidding. She was in a CEO church group and she is introduced to a book. Again, this is around 2006, 2007 called Jesus Calling. This is a book I've gotten way too. I, I, I'll tell you what, I've read more about this book than I have about Catherine. Yeah, you got really into this. Got really into this. To be fair, I mean, she's basically a cult leader, which we'll get into. Yes, absolutely. Um, this is a book that was written in the early 2000s. It is a hugely popular evangelical book. I should add, Kathy Wood was raised uh, Catholic and then converted to Presbyterianism. Um, and Her full name is actually Catholic Wood. Catholic, exactly. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, in fact, all Cathy's uh, stand for that, except for the ones with the K, which actually just stands for Ku Klux Klan. That's, that's what Cathy is uh, long for there. Um, this is a book that is a hugely popular evangelical self-help book written by something, written via something called automatic writing. Do you know what automatic what? writing is, Liz? No. What is, is that like some AI um, alt-lit thing? Uh, in a sense, Yes, although it's actually not an artificial intelligence. It's the great intelligence. It's the great creator himself. It's uh, in this instance, I mean, there's a lot of different versions of automatic writing. Sometimes the spirits take you, sometimes the spirit, capital S, takes you. But this is a book written via automatic writing, which means you just put hand to page. You have no control over what comes out. You just, you know, you are the vessel for another spirit writing through you. Uh, it is written in the direct voice of Jesus Christ himself. Author Sarah Young claims that Jesus Christ was speaking directly through her, directly to the page, uh, using her hand and the pen as a medium. Um, Kathy has read it 13 times, and she gets really into it. I have listened to some interviews with her where she presents somewhat of a different face. And again, you know, if you're like a fucking psycho weirdo, like religious person who's listening to this podcast, I believe in all of it. I I'm telling you, I I'm, I'm the only man who has successfully merged all three Abrahamic religions into the fourth one, which I'm working on as a component of the Belden program. Um, but this lady starts Ark Capital at 57 years old and names it after the Ark of the Covenant, which we all know was hidden by the Knights Templars and partially one of the reasons that they were killed also would not hand over the grail. Um, they were not doing anti, you know, anti-Christ rituals or whatever. That is all fake bullshit papal lies. That's um, when, wait, what, and also to bring it back to Hitler, this is when the Nazis' faces melt off. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Nazis were looking, of course, both for the Ark of the Covenant and, um, you know, for, for Otto Rahn was looking for the, uh, for the, the Holy Grail as well. Kathy Wood, I want to be clear, has found neither the Ark of the Covenant nor the Holy Grail. But she tells people, of course, that Ark is actually named after named for active research knowledge. Um, she said she named it by just opening the Bible randomly every day, and she saw the Ark of the Covenant come up, so she thought it was the the will of God that she uh, she should name her company. Maybe you see the Ark of the Covenant come up. Yeah, I don't know. I, I I mean, maybe she just flips it to the same page. Maybe she just dog-eared the same page yeah. and keeps flipping it to it. <laughs> so there's like one, isn't there just like one part where they talk about that? Uh, I mean, in my version of the Bible, it is 
certainly in it quite a lot, but also it's like a fan fiction kind of thing uh, <laughs> I found on DeviantArt, so not entirely sure what the original all right, all right, is. All right. um, she says God spoke to her about disruption, that she needed to disrupt her own industry. Um, again, Wait, this sorry, like, dude, yes. can you imagine being like, God talked to me about disruption? <laughs> Yes. Like of yes. all things that God's going to talk to you about. Well, dude, I mean, he fucking did to Muhammad. And then like, you know, look, everyone fucking gets mad at dude, that guy. When you think like about it, when you think about it, God is the great disruptor. It, well, that's the thing is if Kathy Wood really wants to disrupt things, she should literally become Muslim. But <laughs> again, you know, I'm, no, I'm not trying to tell this strong woman. This is what not to do. investment advice. This is investment advice. I'm telling you, it's the fastest growing religion in the world. Um, so she says, and again, this is a direct quote from her. Well, actually, it's not a quote, but, but it, she literally says this. I'm just kind of rephrasing it. But she says the most important parts of this. She says, they are encouraging God's creation by allocating capital to its best use. In fact, I lied. That is a direct quote. She was on the Jesus Calling podcast and said those words. I listened to the entire episode that she's Holy on. Holy shit. Yes. I mean, this lady is kind of a nut. She also says something that I really appreciated, which is you cannot worship any idol and the benchmark, and again, this is about investments, the benchmark has become an <laughs> idol. Well, that would make sense considering the funds that she's or considering where she's placed her funds. Exactly. So she's literally being like, you know what? Uh, being bad at investment is actually a, it's actually against idolatry. Those who are good at making money, they're worshiping the golden calf. Mm. Um, she is a I, I, to kind of round her out here before we get into what she actually does. This is from Barron's, uh, uh, Mademoiselle Skaggs' uh, publication that she owns. Before the pandemic, Wood would sit at her desk in the center of Ark's Manhattan office, an open floor, that's a red flag right there, space located on East 28th Street. There are no cubicles, and Wood doesn't have an office. Her desk has a tall chair, like those you'd see in a bar, and all other desks are arranged in a circle so she could see and talk to anybody by simply turning her head. <laughs> you shall worship no other desks, but... <laughs> She is the fucking molten idol, dude. dude. She is like Aaron has gathered up the earrings um, of those who work at 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 Ark and melted them and created her. <laughs> These people are crazy. I mean, I, I I know that we talk about some of the Wall Street freaks, but this one, if you guys don't know about her, I I feel like people do know about her, but if you don't, you you got to read up on some of this stuff because she has created. I don't know how else to describe it other than a cult. Like, mm. they sell merchandise. People, like, you literally, you can buy ARC sweatshirts, T-shirts, bags. Yeah. Um, people are completely and totally obsessed with this fund. Because, to be fair, the growth over the past year has been completely unprecedented. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, well she's, ARC investment has grown from $10 billion to $60 billion in, like, 12 months. And to be clear, like the things that they invest in, they have about five things that they're really excited about, five kind of industries. DNA sequencing, energy storage, but batteries essentially, which you know explains the Tesla's thing. AI, my arch enemy, blockchain technology. Uh, like it's like a, no one knows those, what that is. No, it's like a way to like uh, like sell child porn without getting caught. Um, 
and collaborative robots, which I don't really know what the fuck a collaborative robot is, but I'll tell you, I don't want any part in it. Yeah. So she's got, so the main fund, the, the kind of like, uh, you know, the titular fund arc, mm -hmm. I, I keep wanting whenever I read it too, cause you know, it's like dollar sign. A-R-K-K. -K. Yeah, I just yeah. keep wanting to say like R -k -k -k. <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. Now anyway. You, yeah, that's right, baby. Maoism too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> ARC is, I'm just going to use that as a stand-in, but she's got like five different, you know, five different funds that are that mm -hmm. are kind of, you know, the main ones. It's like um, a healthcare one, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, one is like space focused. Yeah. Which is very lame to me. Anyway, um, they're what are called ETFs or exchange traded funds. So they're mm -hmm. not actual, it's kind of confusing. They're, it's like a relatively new thing. They're a passive investment vehicle kind of. So it's like, imagine if like, um, like it's a weird hybrid between a mutual fund and an equity. So like you invest in the fund, yes. which then trades on the market, AKA okay. you could, you can buy shares of, the fund it can be shorted you know you can go long whatever so the, and, the fund itself is like a is like you can trade in the fund yes when they in turn manage the investments that are in the portfolio of companies so like so basically i am i would be like in i would hold on i am trading in like the stock of a company that trades in stocks Yes. So like they manage what you, huh. you think of it as like a basket. Yeah. Right. And it, I think it's it's quite literally called a basket, a basket yeah. of equities. Of so, deplorables. Yeah. To, well, and yes, in many cases. Um, so uh, ARC has like an underlying basket that they've got um, share their position in Tesla or their position in, you know, they've got some relatively safe bets in Facebook and April and Amazon and whatever, then, you know, so they've got a whole range that's called their, you know, in the basket in their portfolio. And so they, um, you know, money pours into the ETF and they invest that in their portfolio. Yeah. Okay. I see what you're saying. But like, this is what's so, this is kind of what's unique about ETFs. And what has sort of fueled this crazy growth over the past year. And it is important to kind of understand this. I'm going to try and explain this like as easily. I don't know. It's it's very complicated. So I'm gonna, I probably am not going to get into too much of the weeds of some of the mechanisms. Do you here. want to use baby talk again? <laughs> I okay. do not want to use baby talk. Okay, we'll take that I offline. I really regret doing that, by the way. I just want to put that up there. Uh, yeah, I got a lot of messages saying that they really appreciate you doing that. <laughs> okay, so... There's this weird self-fulfilling prophecy, right? I love those, yeah. Where because money is pouring into the ETF, the ETF then is pouring money into its portfolio, right? And so as they invest more in their companies, they're not making new investments. They're actually just um, buying up more shares, more equity in the positions, that, in the companies that they already hold in their portfolio. So wait, so like I am retail investor number one. I I am pouring all of my life savings into an ETF. I in my thinking, like that ETF is actually like you know diversifying and getting more companies, you know, investing in more companies. But what they're actually doing is they're just buying more shares in the company that they already own. Well, you're trusting them to to do what they do, 
And yeah. in that way, it is sort of like a relationship with the mutual fund mm-hmm. where, but the difference is, is that ARC itself is, is also an equity that can be traded. Sort of. yeah, I mean, it's yeah. not an equity because it's an ETF, but it acts sort of like that on the stock market. Yeah. The S&P is another kind of ETF, right? Or not the, SP, the S&P, the SPY, which is the S&P. Anyway, there's, there's plenty of ETFs, but we're just talking about ARC. Okay, I don't know what we're. I don't want to talk about spies. We're doing the economy, economy <laughs> episode, money, money, money talk. Okay, so as you can see, like if the fund is then buy just buying up larger and larger shares mm-hmm. in small companies, and it's getting larger positions, then it's probably pumping the price of that very company, yeah. right? So that company's price then pushes up, which then in turn pushes the fund's value up. Okay. And so do you see there's a sort of like reaction happening of just pushing price up? Yes, yes. And this happens particularly when, I mean, look, she's not, you know, no one has the capital or I don't know, maybe no one, no. No one has capital to buy 40% equity in Amazon, right? Speak for yourself. (laughs) <laughs> so you wouldn't see that but this is the thing that's that's very complicated and worrying about arc is that it actually has a lot of small cap illiquid holdings and this is starting to get some buzz in the we'll say bear the bear section of fin twitter yeah. um or no cap so- no cap illiquid holdings <laughs> yeah no cap holdings that's very funny yeah, that was very cute. Thank you. So I appreciate that. To give an example of this, like just to give an example of the kind of like uh relationship I'm talking about. Yeah. Arc, um they owned six uh six point oh four million shares of Invote, which I had to literally write out because I don't know how to say that. Invote Corp. Um so that's about three percent of the company. And that's January thirty first. By February 12th, ARC owned 17.3 million shares of that same company, or now mm-hmm. 9%. So literally, like, in, like, two weeks, they're, the portion of shares they own, like, more than doubled, yeah. right? And so by buying that large of stake in a company in such a short period of time, ARC is basically enhancing their returns artificially through its own buying pressure. And that's like kind of what I'm trying to get across. And and part of this isn't, I mean, I mean ARC is basically, you know, I mean, maybe, I don't know, maybe they did this on purpose, maybe not. I don't know, maybe they got lucky. I tend to think that there's plenty of people smarter than I am, so I'm sure they did this on purpose. But like, they're taking advantage of the mechanisms that are already there in the mm-hmm. market and with these, the way these funds function. Right. The problem is, is that like at this point, because of the way that ARC's portfolio is set up, like 43%, I mean, this is according to Wall Street Journal. I mean, breaking this stuff down is a little complicated, but they say that 43% of all of ARC's assets are in companies where it owns at least 10% of that company. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Is that a lot of ownership's sake? For one, yeah, that's for one ETF big, to have. Yeah. That's a big, big chunk that they are now like, you know, they're now tied to. And so like when it owns, you know, when when its share of ownership is, you know, 
2%, whatever, big fluctuations aren't going to make a big difference. But when you're looking at, you know, over 13, over 16, in some cases, over 20% ownership Mm -hmm. in companies that are not very liquid, that are facing like, you know, downtrends, markets going down, Mm -hmm. suddenly those, the way that those gains were multiplying that's going to fucking reverse. And now the losses are going to multiply in that same kind of relationship, right? Yeah, yes. And so now you've got the feedback loop pushing downward. So the wheels reversed and now we're going back. Well, we don't know. This is like a maybe. I mean, a lot of people are looking at this. This is the thing that, that you know, is very scary is that like Kathy Wood, I mean, she really is the Dr. Fauci of financial press. I don't think I've seen anything negative written about her up until maybe like a month ago. So you're saying she's not invested in curing HIV? (laughs) I'm saying that like, I don't see any critic, anyone, very few people are looking critically and have really, really bought into the hype of this shit. And the average illiquidity in her holdings above 13% is now those companies average illiquidity is almost up to 30 percent illiquid that seems like this is like very very i mean you know this is a big deal and so like the thing is is that when investors start seeing this you could see a scenario where they start piling in which is something that we're starting to witness where they start to short arc itself and suddenly you've got more downward pressure right And you can see how then suddenly this is a fucking runaway train, which maybe wouldn't be a big deal, except this fucking fund is huge. huge. It's massive. Yeah. It's massive. And at this point, it's a real question of if it's too big to fail. That's how big it is. That seems like a good thing to me to be too big to fail. (laughs) Well, unless it fails. I never understood that phrase. Well, it can't. It's so it's too big to fail, though. Like it can't fail because it's too no, big. No, the whole idea is it considers itself too big to fail until it fails. Oh. oh. So big a lot of people, season. the reason we're covering this is because there's some weird stuff going on in the market. And a lot of yeah. people are taking a second look, thankfully, at Kathy Wood and ARC. Um, you know, more and more, it looks like more and more people are taking a closer look at her books. ARC yeah. is down now 20% from its peak. Tesla, which is one of its biggest holdings, is down 27% from its peak. Um, and, you know, to say that, you know, ARC, as of last Friday, March 4th, is facing some serious outflows, which are when the ETF has to um, basically settle the difference between the market price of the ETF yeah. and the and the under the price of the underlying assets, right? So it has to then sell shares of its own stock in order to to equalize the prices of the two. Yeah. Um, that means that it's putting it's adding more downward pressure. So it's a little concerning, and um, <laughs> I'm not sure that it actually understands its own risk. It has a, its chief operating officer is a guy named Tom Stout, 
stout and it mm-hmm. looks like his last job was an account executive at a local tv station account that's that's a similar word that's used in, the, in both industries i mean the thing is kathy wood her whole thing and again this is why she reminds me so much of these like these fucking tech cretin you know scam artists is that she's like i don't hire like finance people i hire microbiologists and like you know you know 22 year old like tech wizards and stuff like that um but uh Again, I mean, here's the, here's the thing. And this is not financial advice. This is just general advice for those, you know, coming from your friend Brace to um to the listeners out there. Don't invest with somebody with maybe a name like Wood, if you know what I mean. Maybe maybe you look like people who look like me and Young Chomsky if you want to get some investments. I'm just saying, you know, Jack Abramoff, safe bet. And now to give us a little more of a peek behind the old money curtain, which, by the way, is a curtain made of dollar bills and sort of like coins and stuff like that. You go into the back of the smoke shop and bam, Alex Skaggs is there. So let's ding, 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 open. Cha-ching! What is that? The sound of a cash register opening. I'm here at the counter. Who's behind the cash register? Why, that would be financial reporter for Barron's, Mrs. Money herself, Alexandra Skaggs, with us again in the um, the, the fiat zone. Or oh, wait, the no fiat zone. <laughs> Alex, welcome back to the show. How you doing? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Brace can't decide if he's bearish or bullish. Mm-hmm. On all things. On anything. Just in general. Fiat, yeah. silver, gold, commodities. Yeah. Who knows? NFTs. I'm not entirely sure. Which, I, you know, it's it, I go with the weather. Is it sunny? I'm bearish. It's it's gray out? I'm bullish. That sounds about as good as any other way of determining that. <laughs> so we haven't talked to you in like a year. Yeah, it's been a little while. Oh it's my been, gosh. It's the last time. Stuff. Yeah, the last time you were on, we were talking about if COVID was going to crash the market. <laughs> Which, I mean, in you know, to be fair, I think we were pretty prescient with that yeah. with that call. <laughs> so it's fortuitous that we have you back on for this episode to ask a year later, is the market about to crash? <laughs> <laughs> oh God, who knows? Uh, yeah, it's no one really knows. Weird. It's but weird, weird stuff is happening, right? Weird stuff yeah. is happening with Mr. Market. And you're the best to come on and help us explain to our listeners because trying to sort through the mess in the repo markets, again, our old buddies, repo, not doing so hot. And also weird stuff in the bond market that I, to be honest, I like can't really, I don't really understand what's going <laughs> on there. So maybe we should start with repo. Yeah. Yeah. Um, God. So... <laughs> The fun, so uh, in the repo market, which is basically like a bank funding market, banks like lend each other money and also investors, you know, mm-hmm. for like very short periods of time. Um, if you're like a bank, it's sort of a way to like keep your balance sheet in the way that you want it. If you're a hedge fund, it's basically a way to like get extra leverage, like earn a little bit of return um, by like if you like have a security on your balance sheet. 
you can like lend it out to someone overnight in return for cash and then you can like use that cash for something else yeah in the meantime so repo rates um on specifically like the 10-year treasury have gone have done really weird stuff lately so like basically you know the goal is when you're when you're doing repo to like get a security off your balance sheet right and like normally Mm. you're willing to pay somebody else interest for them to like take it off your hands you're it's like you're pawning something basically right like you're like okay i'm gonna pawn this treasury for like two weeks and Mm. you know i'll pay you to free up some cash yeah exactly and so like you take a haircut you pay interest but people want to borrow the 10-year treasury right now so badly that they're actually willing to pay the people who are like pawning wait but why (laughs) so this gets into like the broader stuff in the bond market um basically everyone's betting that treasuries are going to fall and like that means yields go up that means like borrowing costs go up and it's just a ton of people betting against the treasury market and they want to do that so badly that they're like fine i'm just gonna like pay you like four percent which is a really high interest rate well i guess it's like technically negative four percent so it's like a really low interest rate Um, (laughs) which is high for what it usually is right so wait, so why would people be wanting to bet against the treasury? What does that actually like mean? Okay. So last year, like last time we talked, actually, uh, treasury yields were falling really close to zero, um, especially short-term treasuries. Like interest rates went to zero. The Fed was like, we're freaked out about this COVID thing. We're worried economic growth is going to collapse. Let's cut borrowing rates to the absolute bone. So, like, no one has to pay anything to borrow. We want economic activity to continue. We want companies to be able to, like, borrow money to be able mm-hmm. to get through these shutdowns. Um, and so that that means that, like, treasury prices go up, more or mm. less. Um, but now, like, we're reopening, and all of a sudden, we don't need super low borrowing rates anymore. And, like, I don't think the Fed's going to raise rates anytime soon. Like, we're a long way away from that. But because growth is better, because, like, there might be some inflation as opposed to, like, prices, like, cratering from the year before, um, people are like, oh, shit, maybe I don't want to be in bonds. Maybe I want to be in stocks. Mm. And there's, like, also a really weird political angle to it. So, like... (laughs) Uh, markets, a lot of like old timey markets guys, like were in college in the seventies, and so right. they remember the Volcker inflation. They remember mm. like, oh my God, like if you know if unions have any power, that means inflation's gonna like go to the moon, and we're not gonna be able to like earn anything in markets. Well, I, I can imagine too that they're pretty horrified at how expensive marijuana is now too. I mean, especially considering their college days and how strong totally. it is. Yeah, yeah, it's too expensive, and they can't handle it. So exactly. Uh, so they get really paranoid when they're, <laughs> when they're smoking pot. They're like, "Shit, inflation's back!" Uh, and so, like, but then you know, that assumption hasn't made sense at all for like the past. 20 years plus everyone keeps talking about inflation but 
I I mean, if there is, I think there is inflation, but it's in the stock market. Yeah. I mean, like if there's inflation, it's in insane equities prices where pretty much all of that great slushy Fed cash has been going over the past four years now that we've been doing this. But I mean, it doesn't, it seems like it would take a lot for inflation to happen over the summer. Like just people going out and spending, like, uh, first of all, even the idea, I, I mean, that's assuming that people will be spending, which is a yeah. big assumption. Um, I, I'm not convinced of that personally, but it could happen, I suppose. There's just, ins when you've got insane debt levels, you think that maybe people would be wanting to put some of that money towards that, you know? But I, what do I know? Well, no, I mean, it doesn't, like, it could, like, very temporarily go up. And I think that, like, the Fed kind of expects that and investors kind of expect that because, mm. you know, we've been, like, stuck inside for a year. Yeah. And so, like, I know when I can go to restaurants, I'm going to be like, I'm going to the fucking restaurant, you know? Like, right, right, right. But a lot of that is just, like, compared to last year, basically, right? Like... You know, right, it's not real GDP growth no. that you would be seeing. It would be like trying to get to pre-pandemic levels. Yeah, that's, like, so for like an idiot's understanding, like last year GDP growth was, was I assume, down due to yeah. the pandemic and, you know, I mean, all those sort of things, blah, blah, blah. And so the next year if GDP growth rises, that's not actually like a real crazy rise compared to like last year. You have to compare it to pre-pandemic levels. Yeah, I mean, last year was, like, the biggest single, like, contraction. Like, basically, like, a quarter of all economic activity, like, all all of it just, like, ground to a halt. Yeah, no, I stopped selling Coke, like, in March. <laughs> well, and markets were down, too. So, like, exactly direct correlation in markets. Totally correlated yeah. in, like, real life, though. It's really amazing. Wait, really? In markets. Oh, yeah. Wow, Especially okay. European markets, believe it or not. Huh, huh. Yeah. Well, it's because they all make their deals at the dance club. <laughs> the discotheque. The discotheques. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was just going to say that. Um, well, Powell spoke on Thursday, and I'm a total dweeb, so I watched it. I watched the live stream yeah. of it, which was, I felt kind of like a loser doing that. He didn't say much. In fact, he looked like he was really annoyed that anyone was even asking him questions. Yeah. Well, they like really pushed on like the market stuff, right? Mm. So, well, yeah, because the the whole market was basically freaking out. It was, I mean, this is why I was watching because you know the stock market last week. People are saying it was a bit of a correction, perhaps. Although, I, it the S and P ended like two percent up on Friday, so it's not. I don't know if that counts as a correction. Yeah. Like, people are crazy, but I mean, the markets kind of were halted. A lot of stuff was in free fall. A lot of big names were in free fall. Um, including our boy Elon, and everyone was looking to Jay Powell to kind of stop the bleeding like he's been doing, I mean, since the pandemic, basically. But he didn't really do that. No. Well, the funny thing is that, like, the the bond market, again, has been, like, freaking out about inflation, freaking out about, like, oh, my God, like, people are going to be spending money. Like, what do we do? I mean, it should be mm. a good thing, right? But, like... Right. Because of that, 10-year and 30-year treasury yields are, like, going up. And actually, last week, things got, like, r really, really weird in markets to the point where it was, like, potentially a structural thing. Um, 
But like before that, like long-term treasury yields have been going up a lot. People were scared about inflation. People were like, I don't want to own treasuries. And um, they wanted basically him to say like, oh, what we're going to do is, A, we're going to buy more long-term bonds because they're still buying $120 billion worth of treasuries and mortgage-backed securities every month. And yeah, I know, right? <laughs> and they're like not going to slow down anytime soon, which was there earlier. still are mortgage-backed securities, aren't there? I, yeah, yeah, there are actually still more to buy. Yeah, I buy those all the time. I mean, why not, right? Yeah. I'm going to make an NFT that's a CDO. It'll be like we should make a kind of like layered derivative NFT <laughs> that can somehow i don't know i gotta figure this out worthless nfts wrapped in one really expensive nft is what you're talking about so i see what you're saying yeah tranches of nfts (laughs) yes yes you gotta take a bunch of podcasts exactly (laughs) yes we're gonna layer them we're rated we're gonna do the triple a rated true non podcast yeah but we're gonna Mm -hmm. mix it with the triple B and triple some of like the, the, the other like the bar stool like the non-flagship bar stool yeah podcast. yeah Chapo, wrap them all up together wrap yeah. Them up. Yeah, yeah 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 makes yeah, sense I, to me I think that sounds I mean it's very innovative financially and what else what else is America about but financial innovation um but yeah so so when Powell talked basically like from the Fed's perspective they're like okay people don't have that like people's jobs haven't really come back, right? Like, there are 9.5 million fewer jobs than there were a year ago. Mm -hmm. And, like, a year ago, the Fed was really happy about what was happening because, like, you know, the economy was actually growing in a way that, like, some lower-income people were, like, actually making money and getting jobs and, like, having better lives, which, like, you know... Far be it from me to, like, assume that U.S. policymakers actually want that to happen, but in at least, like, watching what the Fed has done over the past couple of years, over the past few years, like, it seems like they actually see that as, like, a good outcome. Mm. And so, like, one way, one way for treasury, long-term treasury yields to go down uh, would be for, like, the Fed to raise rates, because right. people would be like less worried about growth, people would be less worried about inflation because you'd be like slowing down the economy. And yeah. so but it seems insane to slow down the economy when we're pretty much I mean a lot of people yeah. say that we've recovered, but I don't even know what that means when there's this much job loss. Yeah, I feel like it means the market has recovered and they're like <laughs> everything's fine. Yeah. Uh, Barstool Dave's doing great. Yeah. <laughs> Barstool Dave. That's the metric by which I judge all other things in society, yeah. whether a pizza's good, whether a sports team is good, and whether the economy is good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, so so basically, like, the jobs aren't back. Powell was like, we're not going to do anything. Like, I'm sorry that, like, a line went up. He, like, basically said that. He was like, one market is, like, not enough for us to freak out. Like, mm. sorry that that particular line went up and it made the other line He's go down. He's testing them. All the other markets are ready. They're like, oh, you want to you wanna see what we can yeah, do? Yeah, they kind of are. Um, but... So wait, what does this mean? One market line goes up. Yeah. How many markets are there? There are like so many fucking markets. 
<laughs> got the I don't know if the NFT market is actually a market yet, but they're yeah, trying. Yeah. They're trying to make. But we're talking about like housing right market, yeah. like uh, what is the big broad like kind of um, uh, categories here? So like what we're talking about now is the treasury market, which yeah. is the market for government debt, which is kind of the market that like every other market uses as a benchmark, which is part of the reason why people are so freaked out. Yeah. Um, it's all kind of because the treasury market is the sort of like go-to measure of borrowing costs if you're doing any transaction or doing anything in dollars. So, you know, treasury yields go up, borrowing costs go up. If you're a company, uh, mortgage rates, I think, are going up a little bit, even mm -hmm. though they're not, like, directly linked. They're indirectly linked. Um, so, like, people are freaking out about that. And so the stock market's going down, which is kind of funny. Um, also, like, some of the reason for that is just, like, math. Like, it's... Uh, I mean, I also am not, like, a math person. <laughs> um, but, like, if you have, like, a Tesla, for example, yeah. and you're like, oh Maybe my in my case, you have several. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and you have, like, okay, we're going to have so much money in, like, 2035. Like, that's basically mm -hmm. their selling point. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. We have, we're going to have a robo-taxi fleet, yeah. blah, blah. Yeah. Kind of but stuff. then, like, you know, let's say like 15 years. They're like, yeah. we got this in a decade. It's going to be great. But of course, like that's a long time and a lot of uncertainty. So normally, like if you're an investor, you have to discount that and you discount it by like using rates in the treasury market, more or mm. less. So like. So it's kind of pricing it in, you're saying. Yeah. So it's pricing in the uncertainty that like actually does exist and always did exist but like people are like, well, fuck it, interest rates are zero, and we don't have anywhere else to put our money, so we'll put mm -hmm. put our money into like Tesla or like yeah. you know some biotech company that's like developing the cure for cancer in twenty forty five. Yeah, yes, think. yeah, 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 yeah. So, and that's basically what's driven up Arc. I mean, to bring yeah. it back to kind of what we we're talking about at the beginning of this episode. I mean, all of that kind of like I keep saying slushy Fed money, zero interest rate, cheap money piling into the stock market has just fueled this massive fund, right? Mm -hmm. That now is so big that it can't, I mean, just by like its very nature of being so big, it can't sustain astronomical growth, right? Because it's yeah. just that's just not how growth works. That's a little shout out to Mr. Marx. But um, so, it, 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 you know, stuff is starting to fall and then, you know, sentiment comes in and whatever, and we can talk about that. But I mean... Those are like big, that's a big chunk of the market that she has, Miss Kathy Wood. Yeah. And like, the thing is that her whole thing is like extremely speculative companies that like might not make money for 20 years. And she's future. Like, she's thinking about the future and disruption. Yeah, 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 yeah. I thought you people were all about futures and shit like that. Now when it comes down to the wire, it's like, oh no, it's a too much future. I, okay, less, well, less I don't. Future. I try not to try not to say things like that. Um, but yeah, no. The, I mean, that's kind of her whole thing, right? And she like built whatever, brought in $18 billion of money into one fund that she's, like, putting into these tiny companies that are, like, you know, God knows, like, when they're actually going to make money. If they're going to make money. If um, they're going to make money. Yeah. yeah. 
Well, that's that's kind of what it seems like to me. It seems like she's got like a lot of what you might call worthless companies <laughs> that are kind of wrapped into this like uh, you know shell that is worth a lot of money. And you know, there's a lot of it's like it's the same thing as what. Are you I, saying I, some tranches are happening? I'm saying there's tranches of company because we got like what like bio you know bio shit or whatever. That's like we're gonna fucking cure HPV. <laughs> even though it doesn't even exist in the first place and like it like you know in 2090 and then she's like well we actually have this alongside you know genentech or whatever that's not actually genentech but you know what i'm saying and it's like and so people see the big names and they don't really get to the uh you know they, they fall for the dazzle yeah and the amazing thing is that like for the small names they own like 15 percent of the stock of the company yes. yeah and like that's kind of bad. So like the way I wish I like I wish I could do a better job explaining the ET the way ETFs work because this is like mm-hmm. a really big exchange traded fund, which is I mean a relatively new thing. By that I mm. mean like you know past twenty thirty years, as opposed to like mutual funds which have been around yeah. forever. Um, they get a lot of money. They have mm-hmm. to buy shares and like they have a little bit more flexibility because they can like choose what they do and don't want to buy like day to day but they do have to like tell everyone what they're buying so like yeah there are a lot of different ways that you can like you know if you're not arc that you can like trade around that and kind of game it but that's kind of a different Mm -hmm. a different issue um basically the the general idea is that this big fund is buying you know, 10 plus percent of tiny companies and that all works as long as people are sending money into the fund. Right. But the, the funny thing is, is that, I mean, you know, with the ETF kind of like chain reaction where it buying, you know, people fuel, putting money into the fund fuels it buying further, uh, like a, a, a larger percentage in these like junk companies, which then mm-hmm. drives their price up, which then fuels the price of the ETF, which then brings more people in, right? So you see how it kind of is this like feedback loop, which a lot of people have talked about, but they haven't, they seem to ignore that the feedback loop can then happen the opposite direction with outflows, like you said, with redemptions, yeah. which is like, so when stuff starts to drop, like something like Tesla, like you mentioned, uh, for example, yeah. allegedly... Uh, other people have alleged, but not on this podcast, that it is a junk company. <laughs> uh, you know, when they start to fall, and particularly, I mean, that's a company that has a lot of fucking short attention as well, right? Like, a lot of people have been trying to short that company, and a lot of people have been burned over the past, you know, some odd years, whatever it is. Um, but, like, when that starts happening, when the outflows start going, it's the same kind of chain reaction where then suddenly this fund is bleeding faster than it can stop. And so it's like, you know, this, we talk about her personality and like the cult of her personality. Like I know she's scheduled for a TV appearance tomorrow. We're recording this on Sunday. Like mm-hmm. she's going to be on CNBC tomorrow. She'll probably be on there the whole week. Fucking Elon Musk has come out and said that he's, that if you want, you can download self-driving technology in the tesla trying to pump tesla price with that shit which by the way like for people listening i encourage you to google a video which is not like which is very tough to watch and will be burned into your brain forever of a guy who turned who was using tesla self-driving technology and was decapitated by an 18 wheeler as the tesla drove underneath it and then after 
it did that, the Tesla continued to drive off. Like this technology is not anywhere near. And in fact, some emails from the California DMV and their concerns over Tesla's technology were just released. And like, so I do think that at least California is keeping an eye on this. But like him telling people to, he tweeted that if people wanted, they could download this beta software to their Teslas. Like, first of all, if you have a Tesla, do not do that. Second of all, like, I mean, people are, I I really do think it's going to kill people. And I, I don't know if it'll affect the share price because people it, Tesla's have been killing people for a long time. doesn't seem to matter. But that aside, sorry. All I'm saying is Kathy's going to be out pumping because ARC is in possibly, potentially, a lot of people are raising some flags, a little bit of a downward spiral. And that's a bit concerning, right? Yeah. And I mean, if you look at the people who invest in that fund, it's like... It's like a meme stock, basically, right? Like, yeah, you know, yeah. you're talking about Tesla. You know, Tesla was the meme stock, like, before GameStop, you know, even, like, Reddit even knew what it was, right? Like, yep. you know, people die in Teslas. Like, the actual, like, sales of Tesla of Teslas are, not like, great. not that high. Alleged accounting fraud, I mean, et cetera. Yeah. Drug reddening. Well, there's also, I mean, I just watched a video of a guy's Tesla catching on fire and burning in his driveway, which I don't, yeah. I mean, again, not a driver. I haven't seen happen yeah. um, much with other cars. Yeah. And we haven't even talked about Wompy Wheels, my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> I love just saying that. <laughs> Wompy Wheels. You know what? You got to wait for the Tesla episode yeah, to yeah. get all this info. But... But it was a meme stock, basically. Yeah. And like she's definitely pumping her brand, you know, Arc's mm-hmm. brand, all of the stocks that she owns as like, you know, gonna being like about to save the world and then taking on these like big because she was so successful in her fundraising, right? Because like she's basically a marketer. Like that's kind of her yeah. job. Like because she was so, yeah. so successful with it, she ended up taking, like, these giant stakes in these tiny companies. And then, like, what happens? Like, who's going to want to buy those when they have to sell? Yeah. And, like, one one interesting quirk of this is that, like, because it's an ETF and not a mutual fund, they don't actually have to give you your cash back. Wait, what? Yeah, this is really fun. So I didn't know that. Yeah, so so I, if I invest in an ETF, they don't have to give me cash back because that would be my main priority for investing right. would to be to get money if you're like, back to me. I want to get out of this ETF. Yeah. I would like my money back, please. They can actually send you like shares That's of the right. underlying I... companies that they own. And they're like, here you go. And you're like, this is not... You know. Right. So you could end up with a ton of junk is what you're saying. Exactly. And it's not even Oh, this sounds very it's very similar to something that happened nary a decade ago. <laughs> right. And like for ARC, that's great. You know, because like they don't have to like continue the death spiral. But Yeah, because you're getting rid of your junk too. Yeah, exactly. And so like, you know, again for them they come out fine because they're like, well, like we're not in a huge liquidity crunch. We can just send you back the shares, all these stocks that you said you bought. And then like, but what are you going to do with them? You're going to want to sell them. So it ends up having the same effect on the market. And like, it's continuing to push stuff down. Yeah. So like he continues again to like do the sort of downward spiral, Mm. but like arc isn't taking the risk there. It's you. 
Of course. You know, and like you're not going to get as good of an execution or as good of a deal, you know, making those trades as Ark is. Yeah. I think the other thing too to mention is that like, you know, Ark being too big to fail is like a bit concerning considering a lot of its holdings. I mean, it has... You know, it does have, like, holdings in, like, tried and true companies. Like, it has its fang. Although I do think that she's, like, selling. <laughs> she's selling off some of her positions in, like, you know, solid companies like, you know, Apple, Facebook, Amazon. Mm-hmm. You know, what we would call liquid companies. <laughs> and doubling down on the illiquid holdings, which is a bit concerning um, for obvious reasons. But, like, Tesla, for example, like, Tesla's in the S&P. I know. <laughs> And Tesla is also now tied to Bitcoin, famously right. with Musk's big, um, you know, announcement, whatever that buy was. How much was it? Like 35000 or something? I can't remember. Um, but so, like, these things are intimately connected with one another, which is very, very concerning um, when so much insane speculation and particularly, like you mentioned, you know, people hold investing in ARC, a lot of that's retail. Yeah. Like a lot, a lot of that is retail. Meaning like, you know, just people with stimulus checks, man. Yeah. Yeah. And it's the people who are like, you know, getting excited about the stuff that like they hear their friends talking about or they hear somebody on TV right. talking about. Um or fucking TikTok. Yeah. Yeah. Um Dude, I saw this thing today, by the way. I, I tweeted something about it, but I didn't even realize it was like some guy, some one of those fintech TikTok accounts. It's like, you know, TikTok Investors Club or whatever. And it was showing like some jackass being like, this is how you make a million dollars. And he was talking about this fucking service that was that's saying that you can get into binary options trading at $50, which I was like, what? And it turns out that, first of all, you can't which is good. But also what this company does is it's literally just a scam. It just takes your money. It's not placing any fucking trades for you. And so, and this guy was on TikTok, (laughs) went viral shelling this thing, which I flagged because I was like, what the hell is this in general? I don't don't know what the hell that is. At bottom, it's still, it's a total fake company. So people are signing up, putting their money into what they think are like Robin Hood like platforms, or you see this all the time in Forex exchanges, right? Like in the Forex markets, there's all this this total crap out there where people are just taking money and then not placing trades. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's another level. That's like... (laughs) Which is like, like we're reaching the fever pitch that we've reached is like very, very, very scary. And like... I can't really, I, I, to be honest, I can't even really wrap my head around it um, and how interconnected all of it is. Yeah, and, and the, the weird thing is that, like, when policymakers talk about this stuff, they're like, well, you know, it's not like the banks that are 100% exposed to this, like the ultimate, you know, bag holders, you could say, um, is like normal people. So, like, it's not systemic, so we're fine. I'm like, wait, what? Wait. Aren't we trying to get the bag though? So why would I not want to be holding the bag? <laughs> not really sure. What's a- so I mean, all right. So for a guy like me who whose sole foray foray into the stock market was, I will say, lucrative. Um, but of course, have not entered the market since my my week long 
dalliance in uh with it uh my 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 lost weekend um <laughs> what is gonna happen <laughs> like what is all what is all this mean exactly like so if this fucking this this psycho broad kathy wood goes bottom up or whatever happens tesla tanks you know uh it, it's decapitated by the 18 wheeler of reality uh which i don't i don't know if that's gonna happen because anybody who's it seems so divorced from reality. I'm yeah. not sure how they could even come together. But, yeah. uh, but, but you know, from what I understand, these things all have like kind of chain reactions, right? So maybe a bunch of Kathy Woods bullshit, you know, like, uh, you know, foreskin regrowth companies, um, <laughs> you know, go under because people realize that there's no such thing as a foreskin anyways. Um, and... And, you know, they all go under. People are like, holy shit, you know, this, the, this castle is made of sand and there's a wave coming in. What happens then? Like, what other effects does that have? I mean, so one of the one of the interesting things about that, and I, I think Liz, like, mentioned this a little bit earlier, too, is that it is kind of all connected, right? Like, I mean, I think it's really bizarre that this like tech sell-off started and then like two weeks later all of a sudden you're having like really really weird like treasury auctions like why and i should i should probably give a little bit more background on this a couple of weeks ago the treasury was selling like oh i don't know more than 20 billion of seven-year treasuries which like isn't actually that much for the treasury it's really funny when they talk about like oh, it would cost like $200 billion to do this thing. Oh, that's so much. It's like, that's literally 10 or less than 10 treasury auctions. They do that in like two months. Yeah. Um, but besides that, so they uh, are selling all these seven-year bonds. Like there is a bit, like things are going normally until like the actual sale happens and all of a sudden like the wheels come off. Like, there's a bunch of demand. Tesla style. Yeah, right? Yeah. Uh, Got wampy wheels in the treasury auctions. Like, all of a sudden, people thought that there would be, like, a certain amount of demand. They're, like, prepping for that. And then, like, part of it just disappeared. It was just, like, gone. Mm -hmm. And, like, I do know that there are a lot of hedge funds out there who trade around those auctions to, like, make money. It's, like, basically an arbitrage trade. Like, they're, like, okay... Mm -hmm. We think that we're good enough at math that we can model, you know, they, they, they're basically just like be making themselves another middleman in the auctions. Um, but they like buy a lot of the sales and like there are a decent amount of hedge funds that do this. And like they're not there's not public data on who exactly they are. And, like, I don't know what kind of exposures these guys have in other parts of their business. You know, like usually yeah, it's like. Yeah one little fund over here doing the bidding and then like another fund, a different place trading stocks or like taking bigger positions. Like this isn't like, you know, Melvin capital cause they like do one thing. They're like just one. Right, fund. Right, right. But there are a lot of funds out there that are giant and do all sorts of things, you know, that almost function like banks. Yeah, exactly. It's like, you know, when they talk about like shadow banking, it's like, Ooh, it seems very scary. Mm -hmm. And I mean, it kind of is because it's not, under the same sort of like regulatory observation that like banks would be, you know, if you're a hedge fund and like the federal reserve is like, Hey, excuse me, can we like come in and look at your stuff? Like you can argue. Mm -hmm. Whereas like, if you're at a bank, you have to be like right this way, sir. Um, so 
it's really interesting to me and like you know i can't say anything for sure i don't know this is like just you know something i noticed but like wheels come off in like these highly speculative stocks all of a sudden things in other markets including the treasury market which is like giant uh start getting really bumpy and weird and it's like all kind of happening around the same time I think the thing, too, that's concerning about the Treasury and why every I mean, and to be fair, everyone was very concerned when this happened. I mean, it wasn't like no one like noticed this was like pretty big. Yeah. I mean, ever, you know, really freaked everyone out. Yeah, um, like made but like you say, it's so big that if if it were due to, let's say, liquidity problems at a very large fund, mm-hmm. that would be very, very large liquidity problems yeah. for it to affect the Treasury market. Like very, very, very large liquidity problems. Yeah. Yeah, and maybe at multiple funds. You know, like mm. it's um Could this have had anything to do with the freeze up in repo? You know, I was wondering about that too. Um, especially because rates got so low and it's like who needs to short the ten year treasury that much? Like mm-hmm. I just don't I mean and again like it's not totally unprecedented, um, but I think that there's like a big piece myth- missing from this story so far that like I would I'd be surprised at least with the auction if like there wasn't some kind of like fund blow up because this actually happened last year, you know, like it wasn't specifically with an auction, but like last year around this time, actually, the Treasury market sort of went berserk and blew up a pretty prominent hedge fund called Ronin Capital that was mm, then mm-hmm. shut down. And like the CME actually, it was bad enough that the CME actually was like, hey, we're just going to like liquidate its portfolio and be done. Oof. And the thing is like, you can take on a ton of leverage in the treasury market. Like I know that like you guys were talking about like leverage um, when you're talking about GameStop and like Robinhood and stuff like that. Like there are like, maybe not strong enough limits, but there are like some limits on the amount of leverage that you can take on if you're trading a stock, right? Because like the stock can go to zero. Mm-hmm. Uh, treasuries well, yeah. technically can't go to zero. You know, like the, the U.S. government who's like... I like the sound I of I know, that. right? <laughs> like, well, that's why they're usually a safe yeah, bet. Yeah, and, Like they don't pay, really pay you anything, but... Right, right, right. Um, wow. That's the, that's the downside. But the thing is, because they don't pay you anything, these funds can like or try, do, lever them up, like, 20 times over. And, like, that's a big use of the repo market. You know, it's, like, basically, like, you lend out a treasury, get cash in return, buy another treasury, lend that out, and, like, without any sort of, like, restrictions on it, you could do it indefinitely. And that's, like, a fuck ton of leverage. Even if, like, it doesn't necessarily, like, run foul of any any of the regulations basically because like again in theory like the treasury's not going to default so like what's the risk right right the risk is that like i love hearing that when people talk about markets what's the risk right what could go wrong (laughs) um and that yeah well and that kind of ties into another another thing that um people have been talking about with that treasury auction so like the banks like there is a regulation that does actually limit how many times you could like just lend out a treasury using like the same amount of capital right like 
so what what I said, like, okay, if you lend out a treasury, get cash, buy another treasury, lend it out. Like, you actually can't do that indefinitely, um, especially if you're a bank, because of this one type of regulation that was partially lifted last year around this time. Mm. And so they they said, okay, we're just going to, like, relax this a bit, and we're going to relax it for a year. And the the deadline for that is coming up. So like the actual regulation might like come back into play and the banks are like freaking the fuck out about it. Yeah. Like, I don't know. I, I listened, you know, for work, but like I, I ended up listening to Jerome Powell talking to Congress, like the fed chair and the fed, mm. the fed are the guys who are in charge of like deciding, you know, whether these come back into place or not. And I shit you not, like, every third congressperson was like, so what about the supplemental leverage ratio? And I'm like, you don't know what that is. Like, I barely know what that is. I don't know is. what that is either. <laughs> exactly. It's... And I'm a ratio yeah, guy, yeah, as that's... everybody knows. I mean, that's just how bought and paid for they are by the banks. Yeah, it's insane. I was just like that. I mean, it was really. <laughs> and it was like. Yeah. I don't know. It was also, I mean, it was all basically the same question. Like, hey, you guys are going to, like, keep that regulation up, right? Like, you guys aren't going to, like, reimpose it, right? Because it would be, like, really bad. And, of course, the Fed has... Incredible. It's so shameless. It's so fucking shameless. shameless. Whenever Congress talks to the Fed, it's just... It's it's blood boiling. Well, futures have just opened. So we've got to check on whether or not... Mr. Market is going to have a sad or a happy tomorrow. Alex, thank you so much. We have to have you back on more more often as we find out what happens <laughs> in this saga. It feels yeah. like everyone keeps saying that we're entering a bear market. And I was like joking. I don't really know the last time there was a bear market. Um, yeah. Maybe 2000. I, I say in all honesty, I don't either. <laughs> but we know that you'll help us navigate well, through thank it thank you for having me hopefully some of that made a little sense and a little ride by i'm kidding i'm getting it i'm getting it <laughs> I, I i talked about the slr so like god help us all <laughs> anyway thank you for having me thank you alex we'll see you next time Well, so that was all f- registered financial advice. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> okay, no, I'm I'm getting signals from our uh, our super secret producer, um, Mordecai, that this is. Uh, I'm not supposed to say that. So that is not financial advice. That oh was uh, so- that was the ever gracious Alex Skaggs. <laughs> well, before we wrap up, I so I want to just like return to something real quick. Um, Tradition. Tradition. <laughs> Remember in the GameStop episode when we we talked about that thing called counterparty risk? Yes. So to kind of like summarize, like counterparty risk is the probability that another party in a in any kind of transaction may not like be good on its deal or might default, right? So counterparty risk is what ultimately like doomed Lehman Brothers. Yeah. Um and much has been said about how U.S. banks are smaller and less interconnected, you know, like, you know, like how we were talking about with Alex, then like 
you know, them pre-2008. And so they carry less risk and no one's got to, you know, this is not a big deal. And in some ways that is like kind of weirdly true, even though the banks are bigger and, you know, there's fewer of them than there were in 2008. But the rise of fintech products like Robinhood are kind of telling another story. And mm. the the craze that we're seeing across social media and you know whether it's on reddit or tiktok or twitter or whatever and the mania and the market like this is not sustainable and i started to kind of like freak out last night about this like i called you and i was you did like call me yes i was like feeling a bit manic um as i was trying to like wrap my head around what i was seeing and like you know like stonks don't always go up <laughs> You know, like like we talked about with ARC today, like sometimes they go down and mm -hmm. sometimes they go down a lot. And my worry is that the amount of exposure and risk associated with these platforms that like people don't actually understand the amount of exposure that they're working with. And like we saw a bit of this with GameStop and, you know, yeah. some people there was like that. Um, I can't remember his name. It, there was like some big financial guy who literally said like in that instant that the entire financial system almost came down like because of GameStop. And what we tried to answer in that episode was why. And it was because there was a fucking liquidity crunch. Um, so I, you know, on that note, I want to just like point out and bring everyone, you know, bring everyone's attention to what's happening in the options market. And I'm going to try and keep this brief and I'm not even sure I've totally wrapped my head around this, but like, so remember in that episode, we talked about the options market, gamma squeezes, how extreme yeah. out of the money calls can quickly go in the money, short sellers forced to cover the position that requires them to buy up equities that pushes up prices while market makers cover options to purchase equities, maintaining neutrality, et cetera. Right. And that's the kind of effect that we saw pushing GameStop to the moon. Right. So that's the perfect storm. And, you know, the good thing in that situation about owning a call is that, especially in the case of GameStop, when the price is so fucking high, like you don't actually really exercise that call because you don't have the money. You know, you, you're never you're not actually interested in buying a thousand shares of GameStop at four hundred dollars. Yeah. You don't have that money. The whole point is to then sell the contract and, and reap the profits. Right. Um, and it's true that in the options market, like exercising the options contracts rarely happen. Something like 80% of all options remain out of the money and never get exercised. But so what my book presupposes <laughs> is what if there was a GameStop event that were to happen, but in the opposite direction? So something hits free fall instead of just going essentially up, 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 up. It goes down, 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 down very quickly to ex the extremes. Yes. So, like, the thing about options contracts is that someone has to write them. Yeah. So, like, if you buy a put contract, someone on the flip side of that transaction is selling a put contract, right? And in order to sell one, they, they, they write the contract. And if a put contract gives you the right, but not the obligation, to sell the shares of whatever security at the strike price, the agreed-upon price then the put contract then obligates the person selling the contract on the other side of the transaction. It obligates them to buy the shares that you sell 
if you choose to exercise the option. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. So sell, So you can see selling puts is like really, really risky um, because there's significant downside. You have to, like, it's not, you know, it's not like buying something, buying, a, you know, being on the buy side of contract where you don't have to exercise the option mm-hmm. if you don't like. In this case, you, if someone demands those shares, you have to fucking show up and provide them. I have to get those shares somehow and sell them. Exactly. And the whole idea is that you're supposed to have them. Yeah. Or you're supposed to have enough in your account to cover that in the event that... Oh, I left them at home today. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I can sell them to you tomorrow. So, like, there's, like, significant downside in selling puts. Like, very significant. Yeah. Um, and now, gen- you know, to be fair, like, while generally, like, selling puts is very risky, like, you can make a lot of money because, you know, like I said, if something like 80% of all options never go in the money, then you're pocketing like all those all those contracts you sold that never can get exercised like you're making a lot of money right yeah 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 so it's become very popular is what i'm saying and options trading in general is is booming and i don't i don't i haven't seen a lot of people talk about this but there was a couple days recently and and this is extremely rare but there was a couple days recently where there was more volume in the options market than the equities market which means mm-hmm. that, in effect, what that means is that options contracts and the pricing of options contracts was influencing the price of equities rather than the other way around, which is how the system is designed. Yeah. This is how upside down some things are in the stock market right now. So to get me back to what I was saying, so we can wrap up this long ep- episode, back to the GameStop pu- uh, but down scenario. That's what I keep calling it. GameStop but down. Now, imagine a scenario like GameStop, but like I said, the opposite direction. So you've got a gamma squeeze, but down. Retail, institutionals, they're piling in and they're pushing and taking advantage of a severe drop in the market, writing shorts and buying puts. And suddenly, a ton of extreme out-of-the-money puts are now in the money. Mm-hmm. Because again, that's what happened with GameStop, right? You had these guys buying these extreme out-of-the-money calls, which is the right to buy the shares, that suddenly, within the, in, you know, the seconds that the gamma squeeze happens, they're suddenly in the money. So in this event, all the extreme out-of-the-money puts going in the money, this is now pushing the equity prices down even further. Mm-hmm. And this is conti- making a kind of, you know, feedback loop. Right. Okay. So why did I bring up risk? Okay. So the thing about Robinhood is that they don't let you just write naked put options or write put options on margin or credit or borrowed money. Yeah. Um, and that's because it's very, very risky, like I laid out. Right. Um, so from the best of my understanding, this is what they do because they're not going to miss out on such a lucrative business. So if you don't have sufficient cash in your account to cover the put option, what they do is they swiftly move some of your holdings from being guaranteed by cash to being guaranteed by margin. So that then frees up cash in your portfolio to cover writing the puts. So wait, hold on. If I'm like, wait, what? That's insane. So like I have like 50 stocks in like BlackBerry or what one of the other meme stocks or whatever and and those are on uh, those are in, in cash 
but I've done like these, these, these calls and I have to, I have to fucking come up with the, with the shares. They make those stocks on margin instead of cash. And so now I have the cash to buy the shares. Now they have the cash to buy the puts, not calls, by the puts. puts. Yeah, by the puts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah or not, yeah. and not to buy. Excuse me, to write the puts to, to sell the yes, puts. Yes, yeah, yeah. Jesus Christ. Yeah. So what they're doing is they're basically converting your portfolio into margin to cover the risk of writing these put contracts. Damn. So shares bought on margin are also now collateral for options sales. That is, that seems like a like a maybe not the best way to do things. Well, this is like, I mean, really, this is like, you know, exploding brain meme hedge fund logic. And yeah, like, yeah, that yeah. is something that Robinhood has done is it's brought like fucking insanely risky hedge fund behavior to the masses. Yeah. Um. So like there's there's like massive, massive number of people who are sold puts on margin and they don't even know it which is fucking insane. Um, so back to the GameStop, but down scenario, like then let's not talk about GameStop. Imagine a fund like ARK, right? Yeah. And their underlying assets and underlying securities, which by the way, we've got the meme companies, you've got the illiquid meme companies, and you've got fucking the mother of all meme companies, Tesla. What happens when they start falling? What happens when they start following? Well, what happens then? Retail notices this opportunity. They start buying puts for the securities. They start shorting the companies. Maybe they buy extreme out-of-the-money puts to try to affect the gamma squeeze but down phenomenon. Maybe they even short ARK the fund itself. Mm -hmm. And so ARK's underlying securities tank so much that they start facing redemptions. It has to reconcile. Remember, it, the fund has yeah, to reconcile yeah. the difference in price between the fund and its basket of securities. And in order to do so, it has to sell off equity through its what's called an authorized participant, which is sort of similar to a market maker in, in the in the options world. And that is only adding further downward pressure on the asset prices itself. So this can you see how this fuels then? Yeah, Just as yeah, it fueled yeah, it up, yeah, yeah. it fuels it down. There's a downward spiral. This fucking becomes a meme phenomenon it gets more attention from retail which then starts feasting on the fucking opportunity if retail gets in on the action like on a platform like Robinhood, it starts buying more extreme out of the money puts and very very quickly what happens those options then become in the money yeah but the puts no one can afford to buy the puts they never could so the shares are that they can never afford to buy the shares that they are now required to buy. Mm -hmm. So all of those losses are going to have to get written down. Robinhood then has to raise cash to write down the losses. Who does uh -huh. it turn to? It turns to Citadel, like okay. it did during GameStop. And like this is what I want to highlight because remember, you know, when look, Ark has been facing redemptions over the past week. It's had to go you know, if it faces redemptions, it has to go to its authorized participant to get the cash to sell the, its, its equities. So I was looking through the SEC filings because I was just like, who? It's really hard to find who out anything about these authorized participants. They're very much like market makers where they're very shadowy. Mm -hmm. And it's only as of recent that the SEC required ETFs to... um like 
file to make it public who their authorized participants are. So I was looking through the filings and guess who one of ARC's authorized participants is? Who? Citadel. Fantastic. So it's a real question. Like how over leveraged is Citadel? Like I'm not a financial reporter. I have no fucking clue. Like maybe I am getting all of this totally wrong. I know, like what we talked about today, Repo froze up because someone made a big cash request. Seven years spiked. Elon is tweeting to pump the price. And Kathy is on TV fucking promising flying taxis. And you can look at these ETFs. Like these ETFs are all fucking junk. Like they're yeah, junk. Yeah. And I know that Kathy has started to sell the liquid positions and is starting to double down in the illiquid holdings. And I know that on Friday, all five of her funds faced redemptions with ARC G having the most outflows. Redemption. The rate to borrow to short ARC, by the way, has jumped four points. It's now 19%. Like these funds are junk and people are starting to notice. And like... I don't know when this comes down and when this comes crashing down and like, I don't know what catalyzes it. I have some ideas, but ultimately like, I think it's a total fool's errand to try to predict like when that will happen. Yeah, yeah, But yeah, yeah. like it fucking will. And like, there will be an end game. We are at the tail end of a four year fucking mania and it's going to be a fucking bloodbath. Yeah. Well, on that cheery note, let's see what happens in the market. <laughs> well, it's, I don't know. Maybe so, everything will go up again. Who knows? I mean, I got to say, there are, like, from my experience, there are a lot of people who are really bearish. In fact, I've been going up to the Russian River with these guys <laughs> who say they're super bearish to this motel thing for, like, a little bear convention. And it has been life-changing. I'll say that. Life-changing. Um, in fact, they say I'm almost a bear. They say I'm a cub right now. It's really cute. Oh my god! You know what? Maybe someday I think you'll make it. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So far, it's been you know not enough poppers in the world, as they say. But you know, moving on. Uh, my name is Brace. I'm Liz. We are joined by producer Young Chomsky, and the podcast is called Jordan. We'll see you next time. Bye bye. <laughs> Jeffrey Epstein.